1: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie. Critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May third. Rated PG thirteen.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Banners Broadcast. It's August. Do you know what that means? Stories on everything from Tim Duncan, MMA, potential, to restricted free agency fallouts, trade fallouts. Any dig we can get on anything this time of year, we'll take it. It's really slow, but one thing we can do is instead of looking forward, looking back today. I'm joined by Keith Smith of South Explorer. We're going to look back at Kevin Garnett. The parallels to today, how his blockbuster trade got the ball moving on all the Celtics excitement that hasn't ended to this day. Ten years later, it's been nonstop movement with the Celtics. One of the center franchises of the NBA ever since after decades off. So we're going to look back on that tremendous day now. Marcus Smart, who continues to intrigue and puzzle us as we head into another season in his career. It's the last on his rookie contract. And we'll preview Daniel Tice, who is now going to be part of the rotation. Kind of one of the more unforeseen players on this roster right now. I'm Bobby Manning, and this is the Banners broadcast. Be sure to follow us at Celtics Blog at Real Bob Manning, and subscribe to us on all your platforms, the CLNS Media app, the itunes app to search the banners broadcast as well as stitcher thanks for being with us let's do this keith smith coming up next first of all a garden it's not it's a train station really one flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor now before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet take a closer look Welcome back! Episode 6, getting rolling, getting underway as we move into the real dog days of summer here in August. Not the best time of year for us sports lovers, it just runs into kind of a dead period right here, but... We're always going to find a way to spice things up here on the Banners broadcast. Welcome back. Thank you for being with us through five episodes here now on Celtics Blog, on CLNS Media. And you can find a variety of great content across both of those sites now. CLNS Media, we have a new website coming over there. Going to have video, audio, all the great Celtics and NBA content and sports content in general. Coming within the next few weeks. I've seen the design. It's amazing. You're going to want to see that when it comes out. So be following CLNS Media across all their platforms. Celtics Blog 2 at Celtics Blog. Newer website design over there. A lot of great off-season stories. A few roundtables and stuff like that now that the news is starting to slow down a little bit. And we can finally look back now on years and years ago. And today we're going to do that with our guest... He's from Florida. He's a longtime Celtics follower and an NBA reporter and a cap expert. He has just filled so many shoes for us over at Celtics Blog. He also works at Real GM, Fan Reg Sports, and has his own podcast, which is the front office show so he just does all the dirty work for us <laughs> over at Celtics blog all the great information from down south there and summer league's biggest fan as I always say is Keith Smith with us today welcome aboard my friend I told you wearing the Florida hat and your honor good place to be huh it gets hot this time of year though
1: it, it does it's uh you know I, I've been here almost as long as I lived in Massachusetts and it's um you know it feels like home but it's never going to be quite home it'll always be you know massachusetts will always be home to me
0: so following the celtics being that far away do you feel a little bit removed sometimes i know you get all the packages and stuff now that you can watch them but it's it just must feel a little bit weird after growing up on the celtics to be so far away
1: it what's weird is not being able to see them in person very often yeah. you know i only catch a couple times a year when they come through orlando um and even then it it's a different vibe because they're the road team um my my daughter is growing up a Celtics fan she loves Isaiah Thomas that's her favorite guy mm-hmm. and um not a bad choice for yeah right um she her her thing is she's small, so she thinks it's really impressive that someone that small is that good, but what is interesting is you know she 's never gotten to see a game for any of the teams she likes where they're the home team because we always catch them when they're coming through the area. Yeah. So that's uh, something we're going to try to rectify this season. We're going to try to get home and uh, get her into a game at the Garden so she you know, knows what it's like to be there when everybody's cheering for the good guys.
0: And there's going to be a lot of momentum this year. I feel like this is a season, we've said it the last few seasons, that there's just more excitement growing around this team every single year with all the steps they've made. It's really rare to see a team just keep taking the steps upward like they have. It's not quite the turnaround we saw 10 years Years ago now, today I think it still stands as the greatest single-season turnaround NBA history. The 2007 Celtics, one of the most infamous Celtic seasons ever, turning right into the championship in 2008, and it all happened on one day almost 10 years ago now, a little over 10 years ago now. That we're in August, July 31st, 2007. In principle, a deal was agreed to to send Kevin Garnett. From the Timberwolves to the Celtics, I'm, I was a little bit young. I heard uh, Celtic stuff live, did a little bit of a <laughs> retrospective episode on it i, I don 't remember the exact feeling that day. It really did, i wasn 't as immersed in sports as I am now. I bet you remember exactly where you were that day when you heard the news. Where was that?
1: Yeah, we were actually living in California at the time. So we were right in the middle of Lakers country, and there had been a lot of rumors that the Lakers were trying to make a run at KG and bring them in. So I remember sitting in my my, uh, office at work and not being very productive the entire day. I was refreshing the Globe and the Herald's websites because they were kind of the ones that were updating the news the quickest in their comment sections and uh, relying on people you know hey here's what they're saying on wei and those kind of things because yeah. there was no twitter right so you could you couldn't follow along that way um i i wasn't really aware of you know how um big the real gm forums were at that time i, I didn't really know um fully with that so you know i, I did the best i could and i remember you know kind of sitting there and then when the the day was surreal because there was points where people were like, "We can't possibly trade Al Jefferson." Yeah, you know what? How, how could we do that? <laughs> Sounds crazy <laughs> now. I know right and then uh, and then there was a point where it's like Jefferson's not going to be in the trade but it looks like it is going to happen and then it came out ultimately that he was in the trade and I remember sitting there and, and for me it was doubly special because July 31st is my birthday so I like to say that the Celtics that year they went out and got me K G for my birthday so <laughs> I was uh, you know, really excited about that and I remember you know, taking a, a, a my office was in one part of a building and I remember heading upstairs where a lot of the Laker fans were and just kind of you know I, I, at that point it wasn't above rubbing their noses in it a little bit um you know and then to see that team blossom the way they did i watched the whole almost the entire regular season in california so i would tape the games on League Pass, get home, because, of course, you know, they started at 7 o'clock, um, 7.30, so it was only 4, 4.30 at my time. Yeah. So I would tape the games, come home, watch them on the DVR or the the TiVo at the time on League Pass, and then um, follow the team that way. And then we moved back here to Florida in about the very – beginning of april so the tail end of the regular season that entire playoff run one of the first things we did in our new place was go out and buy a tv and get get the direct tv hooked up so that i could watch the, the celtics playoffs and i remember my wife and i literally the tv was sitting on the floor and we would sit in like these camping chairs and watch the first round playoff games just so so we would be able to watch them but yeah it was it was definitely a special season
0: very special one we'll probably never see again and it's funny the way that team came together sort of set the stage for expectations for future years it feels like with the fans at least like that happened the championship came and it almost makes it feel like you know that's easy just make the trade get the biggest player in here and then everything falls into place that just happened so perfectly that I think it almost upped expectations of how these off seasons should go for the Celtics but I don't think there's a player quite like Garnett out there now. A lot of people talk about Anthony Davis. I certainly think he's comparable to Garnett, especially at his highest level of play, but it still doesn't feel like it's quite that level of impact. What do you think it was about Garnett? You know, There's so many things that made him a great player, a Hall of Fame, and one of the best we've ever seen between the personality, between the leadership he brought, how many season years and playoff runs he had made with Minnesota at that point, and then, of course, the direct skill set of his game, how strong he was in the low post, his jumper, his defensive presence, he was defensive player of the year, year one with the Celtics. Mm-hmm. What do you think in particular was the one thing he brought to the table above anything else that really helped that team flip from one of the worst teams in the league to one of the best? Because adding the talent's one thing, but to go from a team that's so used to losing to a team winning a championship one year late, I don't think people understand how hard it is for everything to flip that fast.
1: Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing that comes to mind with me with KG was he was the most unselfish superstar. I could ever remember. He went from being a guy who he regularly scored, you know, 25 points a game for the Timberwolves. He was among the league's best rebounders, always a great defender. And it always was, other than the one year that they made a run to the Western Conference Finals, it was always a little bit lost. It was like he was kind of toiling in obscurity and nobody knew, um, you know, just how good he was. I mean, NBA people and NBA fans knew this guy was great. But when he came to Boston, it was it was the big stage, right? And that that introductory press conference where they had him and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen were all there together, and they all talked about like everything was we're going to do this together. You know, that was all they talked about was like, you know, this is we're in this together, we're going to make this work, and it was just the the coolest thing. And the guy who had to sacrifice the most was KG. You know, Paul Pierce was. At that point in his career, he was coming off of a lot of questions of, is Paul Pierce a winner? You know, came, you know, should the Celtics even keep him? It was a question at the time. And for Pierce, his game was revolved around having the ball a lot and being a scorer. Ray's a shooter. You know, so Ray was comfortable playing off the ball and could play off those guys. Well, KG had to be the one who was like, All right, well, I'm not going to get 25 points a game yeah. anymore. I'm not going to get anything near 20 shots. You know, so what he did was he – sacrificed a lot on that end and then he became the you said it the defensive player of the year but he was the defensive backbone of that team everything they did defensively was based around his unique skill set to really defend all over the floor um, take things away the way they would trap and ice those pick and rolls a lot of that came out of him his ability to really on the weak side, cover two and occasionally even three guys, just because of his length and quickness. And
0: he had a, a lot. to him too. Like,
1: yeah, didn't absolutely. Want to go the paint on him. No, and and you know, and Tom Thibodeau built that defense around. We're going to overload the strong side, and we're just going to leave KG hanging out on the weak side, and he's going to be able to cover all that for us. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you know, it, it got lost a little, but the way he. Really became kind of a mentor to Rajon Rondo and Kendrick Perkins. You know, you hear Kendrick Perkins talk about him now. Like it's like, you know, this guy was, you know, saved his career. You know, in a lot of ways, and you know, and how much he learned from him. So it was, it was, it was more than any numbers you know it was just what he brought the team attitude wise of you know hey i'll give up so we can all do this together and i think that helped everybody sacrifice for a greater good and as you you mentioned it came together and obviously quicker than i think anybody ever could have imagined
0: yeah and you, I, I like what you said right there about the impact he had on everyone else that was already in there coming in because you think of the image of doc rivers back then people wondering you know how great of a coach is this guy uh tony allen the way he got injured in there the, some of these guys over the years ended up leaving out shooting to other places Kendrick Perkins in Oklahoma City Allen ended up going out to the uh, Grizzlies Thibodeau of course to Chicago that team had such an impact around the league after that year yep. and these guys just became such astounding figures in the game after that season and the way Garnett played into that I think is impressive as well like they kind of built this culture that ended up traveling everywhere else it's a copycat league as they say so So Mm the bits and pieces of this team ended up going elsewhere and have astounding impacts in other places, you know, maybe not quite as resounding as what we saw in 2008 with the Celtics, but definitely impressive Bulls teams over the years, Grizzlies teams, all of those places that these guys ended up going. It was awesome to see for years to come after that. Obviously, never another championship in Boston, which was disappointing. I think we were all sad to kind of see that era come to an end, but Getting one is important. Places go decades without them, and I think that really was a big moment for so many Celtics fans. It brought everyone back.
1: Yeah, it had been over 20 years, right, since the Celtics had won a title. And that was, you know, at that point it was like, starting to question like is this ever going to happen again <laughs> um you know and they, and they hadn't been overly close in those you know I, I mean the tail end of the bird years yeah but they you know after 87 they were never really the same those teams and then you know uh, i know you guys talked about it last week you know uh, near the anniversary of his passing but then reggie lewis died you know and that was you know fairly close in after len bias had died and all of a sudden it was like the celtics were left with with no one you know and then antoine walker came along and it was kind of like, all right, maybe this guy's a little fun. And then they, you know, Paul Pierce slides in the draft and it works. And so they made that one run where they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. But even then it was a little like, yeah, but, you know, this is, you know, fool's gold. The Eastern Conference stinks right now. Um, you know, and I, and I always hold, too, you know, as great as that championship team was, they were even better the next year. You know, I think the next season they started like 29 and three or something yeah, absurd man. like that. I, yeah and then um KG gets hurt in Utah I think it was going up for for now you you know never it, it was you know he, he's he's going to return he's going to return he's going to return never did somehow that team still made it to the um, you know playoffs and battled the magic Ultimately, you know I remember that quite well being here they lost to the magic and uh you know um, game 6 here and then lost at home in a game 7 for the first time in forever but it was such an injury riddled team i remember being you know i know i know we all love of them now, but it was like Good, good lord! I hope Scalabrini can play. Oh, <laughs> you
0: know? man. Yeah, I know the depth of that team compared to what we have uh, now. It's just incredible. Yeah. They were just scala- salvaging for one guy out the bench that could help
1: them you, back then. You just had to have him <laughs> out there as the one big, you know. And then the next year, KG comes back. They, you know, they were kind of the walking wounded, but made it past, you know, a bunch of teams and made it. In, you know, they were they were the ones who ended LeBron in Cleveland the first time around, and yeah. they uh, might might have inadvertently launched that Miami. Squad with that and made it to that finals against the Lakers and if yeah you know, and I still hold you know I, I I disagree with uh with Doc Rivers on a lot of things but I do agree with him that if Kendrick Perkins didn't get hurt they they win that game seven um,
0: yeah that that game just lives in my nightmares I remember the first two quarters I'm getting out, out rebounded so badly but still stringing together those offensive. Possessions pushing such a big lead and at that point I felt like you know This is in the bag and it kind of set up a lot of overreactions of early leads for me over the years <laughs> Where I just say all right, this is great They got a nice big lead, but in basketball we've seen it so many times it can all just disappear in one quarter and it felt like Crash and burned in that fourth quarter and I remember that was the one time tears were falling through my eyes watching <laughs> the game
1: Oh man, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, that that one was tough, you know. And it was Kobe six for twenty four. You know, oh, you know. So many breaks went that way. Yeah, yeah. You know, but you know, it was. Uh, I, I kind of look at it. I think you touched on it a little bit before. I. I just appreciate that they got one, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that that um that team, you know, forever will you know kind of kind of live in our memories as a group. KG, I know he was in Minnesota a lot longer, but he became a Celtic, you know, by getting that one title. You know, really, really special team, really uh, excited the way those few years went, and then, you know, it was just sad that it had to end, you know, after in such short order. But when you had that many veteran guys, that was to be expected. So
0: let's turn the page a little bit to a guy that kind of gives me visions of KG. Maybe the closest guy I've seen to him, not talent wise, not position wise, not ability wise, or anything like that, but just in the manner in which he plays the game. And it's Marcus Smart. And we've kind of seen him go through his peaks and valleys over the years here. He's really become maybe the most interesting player on this team because he still has that upside. We've seen a lot of growth in him, but there's still those nights where you just shake your head at the shot selection. I mean, he's still coming off the bench now after he was a starter years ago. So it just feels like we really don't know where he's going to be now going forward. His free agency's coming up. I think we all really value him with what he's done so far in his rookie deal. I think we all kind of hold, hold it as a close fact that he'll be back after next year we'll see what happens restricted free agency can always get wacky as we've seen what have you thought about his development over the years at this point point? and do you think there's any more ability for him to grow now i mean they brought some good talent in on the bench now he'll probably be leading the bench again who knows there's a lot of lineup questions to come with this team but what do you expect smart's role to be within the context of this team next year
1: so on the development question, you would have liked to seen him shoot the ball better by, by this point. I kind of believe players, to some extent, are what they are at a macro level by the time you hit their third and fourth year. Point, you know, yeah. So if, if they're not a good shooter, they're you know, everybody's like, well, Jason Kidd figured it out. Well, okay, there's one guy I can give you. Hundreds of others who never did. It's just not realistic at this point to think he's ever going to be a good shooter. You know, you you would hope, you know, maybe he can just become a not horrible shooter. You know, that, that would help a little. But we have this tendency to focus on, you know, what does a guy need to do to improve or what does he need to do better and forget all the good things that they already can do. You know, he is arguably one of, if not the best defensive guards in the entire NBA, mm-hmm. can guard every small forward in the league, and a lot of the power forwards, you know, he plays up and, you know, did that a lot. We all remember him guard, taking on Paul Millsap. Oh, one of Paul my Millsap favorite moments miss. of this
0: team. Yeah. Oh, man.
1: Yeah, you know, and he went right at him, And, you know, he was the, the difference in helping the Celtics get, a, get a, ultimately a win in that game because, you know, he went toe-to-toe with Millsap and helped shut him down. Mm-hmm. We don't want to forget that. He is an improving playmaker off the dribble. Now, I think last year, one of the things that we saw, especially in the first half of the year, the Celtics played him off the ball a lot and had the ball in Terry Rozier's hands on the second unit. Yeah. And, and I, I really believe that was Brad Stevens' experimenting tends to use the first half of the season to to try things and figure things out and see yeah, what he you got has. Criticized for that within the own team too. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and then they go back and you know switch it up, and Smart had the ball in his hands a lot more. And you got to see he's an improved playmaker in the pick-and-roll. His shooting did get a little bit better. He was actually pretty good from the corners. Mm-hmm. I think what he's realizing now is when I'm off the ball, I got to move out there. One of the things that he did on occasion, not as much, but on occasion – we saw him start to make cuts off the ball, which was always a you know an Avery Bradley and a to to a lesser extent a Rajon Rondo thing that both of them mastered. When you know, especially when Bradley wasn't a very good shooter, he was always a good weapon offensively because of his cutting ability. So if he can do those things, he starts to become more of a. Yeah, I don't know that it'll ever be a plus on that end, but at least just not a deterrent. So if he can do that, that that'll get there, you know, and and help quite a bit his growth and in development. As far as going forward this year, I think you're exactly right. I think he's going to come off the bench. I, I know a lot of people say, oh, maybe he starts. It's an
0: interesting question. We've had it on this show before because mm-hmm. you think of the defensive impact he brings to the game, sure, and that's that's going to help so much in the crafting of lineups that are going to be able to protect Isaiah because we know that's so important within the macro context of this team is helping save those defensive possessions with Isaiah. Yep. And he seems like the perfect guy to help in that capacity. But then there's the issue of the bench now and their scoring that's important too. Kelly olynyk has gone there's a lot of new faces in there. Terry Roger, of course as you just said has the ball handling questions and so the one guy you look at is a ball handler who can make plays set other guys up and produce is smart. So I know we don't love his offensive game but for the bench it looks like it's going to be important for the starters it looks like mm-hmm. his defense is going to be important so I feel like he's kind of caught up in a flux right there.
1: Yeah, I think it's also it's out of his hands, right? Because it's he could be perfectly ready to go and start. If you have Hayward and Crowder, that means one of the two of them probably has to go to the bench. Mm -hmm. Because I don't buy this Crowder starting at the four stuff. I just he can play there, but he's not going to start games there. I just I find that to be very hard to believe. I think, you know, that that would mean that Horford has to start at the five, which he doesn't really want to do. So I think we'll see plenty of that you know, the this year's version of the IT and D lineup where, you know, you've got Smart, Crowder, Horford and probably Hayward and then IT to close halves and um, close games. But I don't think Smart's gonna work his way in there as a starter. I don't see Jay Crowder handling it very well if at this point they're like, Hey, you need to come off the bench. Mm-hmm. And then I think it causes problems on the bench units because now all of a sudden is there enough minutes off the bench for Tatum and Brown and Crowder? Yeah. How's that going to work? So, so I think it just makes a lot more sense for Smart to be the lead guy. Now, now this may be one of those where he comes off the bench, but he's in games four or five minutes into the game, you know, and in there for all the bulk of the important minutes, the rest no, that's, of the half. That, that's a good
0: point too. You know, it really doesn't yeah. matter who starts; it's who finishes the yeah, game.
1: Absolutely, so. yep. So that's where where I think we'll ultimately see him him go and, you know, continue to to develop. Because he's too important not to play major minutes. And he's obviously now with Bradley gone. He is the top defender at the guard position on the entire roster.
0: It's funny. uh, Duncan Smith was posting a lot of analytics last night. uh, Play types. We love looking at those. I I was so intrigued to see Smart's play types and where those break down. I know there were going to be some really ugly numbers. (laughs) I know there's going to be some really good ones too. So he sent them to me. It was interesting. He came out as an average spot-up shooter in the middle percentage. Poor transition player in the bottom percentage there. Below average pick-and-roll ball handler, which surprised me a little bit. And then you had very good in the post-up, which a lot of people pointed out last year. Mm Low average in isolation, poor handoffs, poor cuts, poor off-screen, you know. And then miscellaneous. He's very good in the 80th percentile, which you kind of expect out of him. On defense, much better numbers, of course, but... The analytics, very interesting with Smart, just kind of shows how sporadic his game really is on that end. The question I have for you as a guy who's inside, talking to executives and stuff like that all the time, how is Smart viewed within Boston and valued within Boston, and how is he kind of viewed and valued around the league? Is there any discrepancy in how the two sides look at him at this point?
1: Yeah, in Boston, he is—he—he's you know one of Danny Ainge's guys, right? I think he called. Bradley, Smart, and Rogier is bulldogs at one <laughs> point. So he's definitely one of Danny's guys. Danny, you know, loves him. He's, you know, a big part of what he wants. And it's it's very funny, I think. You know, I my running joke is, you know, Danny Ainge wasn't a very good defender, so he wants good defenders at guards. You know, he was, he was really a great shooter, but he also wants them all to be tough and yes. want to scrap and fight because that's what he was. So that's where Smart fits in there. He's highly thought of in Boston they obviously had to make a choice. So you could not, number one, you had to clear cap space for Gordon Hayward anyway, but you couldn't go into the off season with, Smart, Bradley, and Thomas, all his free agents. It was just going to get too messy and too expensive. Yeah. So, you know, Bradley was obviously, as much as it hurts to see him go, because you, know, you remember I wrote for Celtics, he, he's our guy. You know, he was the guy that we rallied around over the last few years, and now he's gone. Yeah. It's, and he kind it, of it's seemed it's to tough. hit his peak as
0: a leader, as a figure yeah. in this team last year, too. You had him talking yeah. about the KG uh, speech. You had a 25-point game out of him in the playoffs. Like yeah. He really hit his peak as A player, last player, and then to just see him go so unglamorously, too. There was actually that story he was on the plane out to Seattle. He hadn't even gotten word yet when the trade was announced, and then he landed, and just like that, he's in Detroit. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and that's hard, right? But someone had to go, and ultimately, the decision was was the right guy. I, I do too, you know, and it was it was really ultimately it came down to either it was going to be Bradley or Crowder who had to go, and I just think Crowder's contract is just too good. You can't give it up for what he gives you for value. So, you know, but as far as smart around the league, it's it's really split. The teams who value the intangibles higher and are really more defensive-focused, they love him. They think he's great. They'd be, you know, content to give him, you know, $10, 15000000 million a year next year. The teams who are a little more offensive-focused... They, they don't like him as much because it's, is he going to fit with our offense? Is everything going to crater around that? Yeah. Because because he's not that good offensively. So the challenge becomes, where does that leave it? Now, the good thing for the Celtics is this summer, barely anybody's going to have cap space. And the, the handful of teams that project to have cap space, they're going to go in a different direction than Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. So that gives the Celtics a little bit of negotiation leverage to you know off what they'll probably do here in extension negotiations is they'll lowball them and he'll be smart to say, no, forget it. Let's just take it to restricted free agency next summer mm-hmm. versus signing that. I think he's seeing now, you know, what happened to Bradley and Crowder. They ended up so vastly underpaid yeah. by signing deals. Um, so I think he's going to say, no, let's take it all the way into next summer. And for the Celtics side, I think it's going to be, all right, that's fine with us because we still have match rates. No one's going to have cap space anyway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look at guys like New Orleans Noel, right? He's still oh, just man. sitting out yeah. there still doesn't have a deal because no one can give him an offer sheet that the Mavericks won't immediately match. And it gets and ugly,
0: too. You had Gordon Hayward talking about can, that yeah. whole situation with Utah and Charlotte a couple of years yep. back where Utah just waited and waited and waited. And he's kind of sitting there. He knows the business of it. He knows that yep. it makes sense for the team. But there was that little bit of saltiness with him. Restrictive free agency can just get messy, and I think it showed it with the yeah. situation. And Noel now, too, like – we're in the August now. What kind of guy his stature is yep. still a free
1: agency in the uh, August? Now I know this isn't the Mavericks podcast, but the reality with Noel is he wants something close to twenty million. The Mavericks don't want to give him something in the twelve to fifteen range. Well, there's not a single team out there who can give him an offer of approaching even twenty million. There's yeah. not nobody has that kind of cap space. And anything less than that, the teams that, a couple of teams that do still have cap space, what they could offer, them, the Mavericks would immediately match. So you, what you could run into, and this is could play out with Smart next year, is these guys might just sign the qualifying offer, play out the year, and then just be unrestricted free agents at the That's end a of the point. year. Good point. Yeah, it you just know, gets so messy for could these guys get there at this
0: point. yeah. We saw a guy like Otto Porter come out big this year, though, with his uh, Nets offer sheet. Now the Nets bringing in a little more good players now, too. I did read today on uh, Liberty Ballers, we can kind of pull in a Celtics angle on this. Nets talking with the uh, Mavericks or maybe just kind of showing interest in a trade for Nolan's Noel. Is that just rumors, or is there any momentum there that could end up happening? Because the the Nets are starting to scrap together a little bit of a squad there. It's kind of getting scary for us
1: with that pick. So there's two two things with this. Is One, I think it's just the Nets doing kind of their due diligence. Mm-hmm. Is there, you know, the Mavericks want to move, but the Mavericks aren't. They, they have no interest. They traded for Noel for him to be the long-term center. They love his fit with Dennis Smith as they kind of grow into what they're going to be in their next phase. Now, the other piece is I don't know how serious the Nets' interest overly is as well because he doesn't really fit what they want. They want people who can shoot at every position. I've been telling people all summer long, don't be surprised when Timothy Moskov is shooting three pointers this year. <laughs> you know, wild, he actually yeah. people said the same thing about Brooke Lopez, right? That's, and people were like, No way. Here, yeah. You know, and then Brooke Lopez knocked down a hundred, you know, plus three pointers this year. And Mozgov actually has a decent touch from about fifteen eighteen feet. I've been told he's working on shooting from behind the line. If you know if he can, you know, shoot a credible amount from back there, all of a sudden now, you know, he's a better fit. So so it'll be interesting to see. So I, I don't think there's going to be too much there. But the Nets are the unfortunate thing is they might be just as bad as they were the last couple of years. But they're getting better, you know. So I think it's the Celtics. It is a weaker East, but I think the Celtics they're, they're okay. That's that pick is you know the last of the hashtag net pick nets pick. <laughs> um, it's going to deliver one more time just because they're they're still probably another year or two away, but. They're going to be good before people realize it, and it's because they've they've done a very nice job rebuilding in an almost impossible situation. I highly encourage everyone to go read Zach Lowe's article today about the Nets because it was all about... You know, rebuilding when you have nothing to rebuild with, mm-hmm. um, and it was really well done. And you know, gives, I think gives people a good frame of mind on, you know, this is exactly where the Nets are coming from.
0: It's a nice stadium. I was there the other night for a concert. Barclay, yeah, the Barclays, yeah, Barclays is beautiful. Yeah, nice, yep. nice black tint all around. Really matches yeah. the feel of the team, the colors, and stuff like that. Yep. So, I, well, last thing I want to talk to you about before we get to our little round table discussion is uh, Daniel Teese. Um, Tice. Tice. Oh, I knew I was going to yep. screw him <laughs> up. That's right. So, yeah, <laughs> kind of one of the unexpected guys on the roster. His sneak, uh, signing kind of snuck in underneath all the other fanfare this year. Is he a guy who could end up impacting this team in the rotation? Is he going to see minutes? What can we expect out of a guy that not a lot of
1: people probably know about yet? Yeah, I think especially early, he might play. Um he so the best way I can kind of describe his game is he is a slightly less athletic Chris Anderson, you know, Birdman. Yeah. If people remember him, he's a slightly athletic oh, less athletic <laughs> ver- version of him who can actually shoot though. Um so you know, so we we lose in athleticism you make up for in the fact that he can shoot defensive player of the year in the German league last season, mm-hmm. um, which is you know, great he um there's actually a a pretty Popular YouTube clip of him blocking Ante Zizic three consecutive possessions in a row <laughs> um, at the rims. and that guy's you know kind of become the apple of our eye as the next great Celtics big man. It's exciting that he, like I said, he can step out and hit the three, you know, on occasion. He's you know he's not going to make five or ten, but think think what Amir Johnson did, right? He was a guy you you at least had to get a hand up on out there. So I think early on behind Aaron Baines, he's probably. Outside of, you know, obviously Al Horford will slide over and play the five plenty, but I think Tice might be the guy they go to early on. First, some minutes at the five while Zizic develops and before, you know, maybe Yavaselle and Ojale are ready to play a little bit more. I think Tice is going to see minutes early. If he's not... Doing so well, then they'll start bringing you know Zizic and Yabasele and Ojale in there, and they'll get more minutes. You know, backing up that big as they kind of cobble it together behind um, Aaron Baines, who I expect Aaron Baines to be the starting five. Yeah, um, this year is my expectation. So, but yeah, Tyson he's an interesting player, and he's actually a pretty good player. I think he's going to be a lot better than a lot of people think he is
0: there's the breakdown on tice it's interesting too because we've seen them go small for all these years and there's a lot of unsung bigs on this roster we really don't know what to expect out of yabusele zizek even this guy now and then baines too is a newcomer here Porford really is the only known commodity still in this system in that front court so i think there's a possibility that some of these guys get spurned in minutes especially where they do go small often so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that especially now that all these guys are over here. There were some questions about who would be on the roster, Mm -hmm. this and that. But there's definitely options, which is good because I've said it many times on this program, I'm going to keep saying it because I think it's crucial. They're finally going to be able to give guys nights off this year, and we haven't seen that in years. I think they're going to be able to win games, with some of these guys filling in for other guys, which is awesome to see. Isaiah able to get a new n- at night off, the new training staff, which we talked about last week, probably gonna be some more mixing and matching of approaches on keeping these guys healthy, which is crucial, because last year kind of got knocked off by Isaiah's injury at the tail end. You had a ton of injuries the year before in that Hawks series, so keeping this group healthy is gonna be important, and I think they have the keys to do it this year. We just
1: wanna tag on one thing, because I think it's important, to note is the roster is incredibly versatile yeah. the only only Baines and Thomas are the only guys who can play one position you know Thomas is only a point guard and Baines is only a center everybody else can play a minimum of two spots yeah. you know and Brad, you know, Brad doesn't even term them that way right we, we know this as Celtics guys it's you know ball handlers wings bigs and swings
0: and our community. you know <laughs>
1: yeah. right now Jeff Clark, our uh, editor in chief over at celtics block he he did like a little Venn diagram of like where do guys all fit you know a bunch of different circles and and that and that was a lot of fun, but it helps I think for people who aren't as tight with it to realize like yeah, if you can't play multiple positions you're probably you probably can't play yeah you know or you better be. You better bring something that no one else on the roster brings, and obviously, it's it and Baines is the only true center on the roster. Um, so those two will both get their time because of that. But everybody else, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Like I think it's
0: funny too on that Venn diagram. You probably could have put Smart like in that big circle just a little oh, bit. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. that was funny. Then of course there's the garden's electrical system. Wonder what this does. Oops. For 60 years, everything's fine. Then a circuit breaker goes out during the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, that's it. Or was it sabotage? Bring it back to Garnett, where we started the show. We'll end it on him, too, in that big three group. Because ever since that group came together, you talked about in the very beginning, we kind of saw this new era of superstars teaming up. And it all started in 2011 with that Miami Heat team, and that kind of... You know, we didn't see it then, but it kind of did bring in the downfall of that team. It lasted until 2013, and we had the great Nets trade that we talked about in the middle of the show. It's all interconnected, which is fun. But... Um did it, though, in a way that Celtics team set up a new era of superstars having, having to come together to win championships and that setting a standard for years to come now?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I see that out there a lot, and I kind of look at it as, did, did they? Because if you look at the Lakers um, previous to that, you had Jack and Colby were there together, and then they were they brought in Carmelo. Malone. You know, Carmelo was was older and towards the end of his career, but was still a good player. Then you had, before that, you had Barkley, Pippen, and Olajuwon in Houston. It's always been, to me, the league has always been kind of this way, where you have had these teams come together. And really, everybody wants to point to the, the Pistons. That one year where well they they didn't have any superstars yeah well that's one team in the last you know 25 years mm-hmm. you know and and let's not forget they had four guys in the all star game one year you know Tayshaun Prince was the only guy who didn't make it yeah. the one season so and so I think they did have some all stars even the Spurs they they always had you know it was Duncan Parker and Ginobili who were very much all superstars mm-hmm. now they were all a little more homegrown and found by San Antonio so that was a little bit different but. So I think there was some level of that. I I think it increased the awareness of if you're, especially if you're going to do this on the fly, you better, you 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 got to bring together at least three guys. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna if you're gonna build it from the ground up. Then, you know, build it. Like, like look at what the Thunder did before they traded James Harden, right? Those were all homegrown players, all their own draft picks.
0: Well, if people are clamoring for the Celtics to kind of get into this territory now where they do try to bring in another superstar to round out the roster with Thomas, with Hayward, that's why... The hype for George was so high. And we're going to see what this team's ceiling is this year. There's a lot of debate right now about whether they're probably in that same territory or whether Hayward bumps them up another notch. But is it going to be necessary for this group, if they're going to push to win a championship at some point, to bring in another superstar from the outside? Or do you believe that the track that they're going on, where they're going to really try develop these younger guys into those type of players is going to work, because I think that's the biggest question this team faces going forward, and it's one that they're probably going to have to decide on on the fly if a guy like Davis does become available.
1: Yeah, so it, it's, it's interesting, and Danny Ainge, a long time ago, it was when the James Harden trade was made, and one of the questions that I was asked is, you know, what do you think of that? And he's like, that's why you pile up assets, yeah. whether they be draft picks or young players or players on good contracts. You pile those up, so when a superstar becomes available, you can be in the mix to get them. Now. People are still, you know, I still hear it on a daily basis, especially through Twitter. Is you know, why didn't they get Paul George? I love well, Twitter. You know, what, what were we? You were going to give up all, all kinds of stuff for a guy who probably wasn't staying. Well, that, you know, that's my I, big question right there. So, say we get to the
0: situation where Tatum's looking really good and Brown's looking really good, and it seems like they're on a track to go somewhere as players. If Davis becomes available, I you know, I know he's one of the best players in the league at this point. But if the Pelicans demand Brown, Tatum, I know today we say yes in a heartbeat. But in two years, if they're getting better, what turn do they take? Do they still stay on this track of trying to become a team that, based on their youth, or do they suddenly ship those guys right out because Davis becomes available? That's what's floating around in my mind.
1: Yeah. So what I've said is that what the Celtics are doing is they're they're very much the living embodiment of have a, have their cake and eat it too. Yeah. Right. They want to be really good right now, but they also want to be really good right now and two years from now three years from now five years from now and you know now for me it's anthony davis you know yeah. for my money you know outside of the you know lebron and those guys who you know i'm, I'm not going to count on lebron he might still be playing amazing five <laughs> ten years from now yeah, no, but you no know one, yeah. de- you know his his classic guys outside of him yeah, if you ask today, like, hey, the Pelicans, you know, they're willing to do it and they want Brown and the Nets pick and that Lakers-Kings pick, done. Oh, yeah. I'll give it all. You know, I'll, I'll give you every single, you know, they want Rozier, they want Smart, like, done. Right? Yeah. So, you know, outside of probably Hayward and Horford and maybe IT, I don't, yeah, all of it can go. You know, but that's just because that's how good Anthony Davis is. But it's, it is it is tough because the other thing you have to factor in in a couple of years is, Davis is going to be a free agent then in a the year, yeah. so then you get to look at it as like, all right, well now we're giving well, up these be the young guys
0: situation where they probably that yeah. yeah yeah so
1: yeah we'll get yep. to that
0: point yeah. when <laughs> we reach that. It's nice to dream about <laughs> those years to come, but it we have is. a great year in front of us, and he's absolutely have you covered every step of the way once we get there. As you reminded us, preseason coming up in just about two months now, so the turnover to
1: next season is never far Crazy. away. Yep. No time off, and we're all still sitting around waiting for a Kyrie Irving and a Carmelo Anthony (laughs) trade in the beginning of August. You think, uh, real quick before we end the show, do you see Irving getting traded this summer? I do. I I think you have to um, before teams start filtering back in for training camp towards the middle to end of September. I don't think you can bring it back. It, It just seems like it's too ugly and broken. Darren Cleveland. I think they, they have to move on for the sake of everybody, but but we'll see. I mean, I, I've also been saying that about Melo for a year now and he's still sitting there, but we've also seen the Knicks stink. And I think in part the reason they stink is because of all that infighting, yeah. you know, and nobody getting along. Now LeBron won't let that happen. He's too good. Mm-hmm. You know, the, that team will be good anyway. But I do think Kyrie Irving will be on a different team. What what's gonna free up now is a lot of these rookies. Um, they, they're now the guys who signed at the very beginning of July. Point, yeah. There's a 30-day rule, so they're all starting to free up to become trade eligible. Um, so that's where you're going to start seeing those teams start working through that stuff and making more meaningful offers that can actually happen. Yeah,
0: that was that love situation a couple of years back with yep. Indians, where we just had to keep waiting and waiting. So that's Keith Smith. Yep. He's got you covered on the cap. On everything, pretty much, you can think of in the NBA world, as well as front office talk on his own podcast. So, follow him at Keith Smith NBA. You can read him at Celtics blog, of course, just like the rest of us on this program. We'll talk to you next week. I'll be back from vacation, and we'll be bringing in a new season pretty much at that point. So, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for being with us, Keith. We'll talk to you soon on here. Thank you.
1: Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a the theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green.
0: What is so special about the Boston Garden, other than the fact that it's a 1,000 years old? Let's take a look.